is the Starting Why Podcast. Here we ask entrepreneurs, actors, investors, innovative, and artists on the why. Why they are doing what they are doing, what motivates and drives them, and why can't they stop. We will start in five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, this is Joe from Starting Why. Today I have an interview guest here for you. The connection is not too good and the simple reason is this is yet another recording across half the world. I would like to welcome Joshua in Guangzhou, China. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. It's totally my pleasure. Huaning. <laughs> so, Joshua, you are an American? Canadian. Canadian. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Fortunately, I was not in, in your arms reach at this point in time. <laughs> I see you studied Chinese, so it's not too surprising that you ended up in China. But can you give us a brief rundown how and why you ended up where you're at right now with the company in Guangzhou in China, which is also known as Canton? Uh, for people abroad? Yeah, sure. So I'm from Toronto, from Canada. I went to university down in the States and I was studying biochem. And while I really liked it, I just knew that it was time for me to not be doing biochem. I've always done business, you know, starting when I'm young, doing like the kids' candy business, whatever. And I just knew that that was the life that I wanted to pursue. And China just seemed like the right place to go. And so I dropped out. My parents were supportive, but I knew that financially I was on my own. And I didn't really have anything. I just had enough for a plane ticket and to start, you know, a new life in China. And China's changed a lot since I've been there. That's 2013. So I've been here like eight years and China's changed a ton. But back then, there was not a lot of foreigners in China. There wasn't a lot going on, but I knew that there was a life there to build. And so I got here, 500 bucks in my pocket, no job, no friends, nowhere to live. And kind of just put the pieces together. There's a lot of opportunity to, you know, people teach people. There's lots of little odd jobs that you can have. You know, I was working at some clubs. I actually started to do stand-up comedy on Chinese national TV, doing some teaching, all sorts of different things. But I knew that those were just plugs, you know, to get me to the next step. And so Kickstarter had just come out was just starting to gain some attention. And I thought, you know, I've always loved products. I love music. And so I worked my ass off the hardest I've ever worked in my life and made a pair of headphones from scratch, right? The design, the team, everything, I put it all together. And we launched on Indiegogo and we did $20,000 almost right away. And back then, that was pretty unheard of. You know, people weren't doing that kind of business on Indiegogo back then. Now it's pretty commonplace. And so I was so excited, right? I thought I was there and, and getting ready to start this new adventure and start this company. And everything was kind of lining up exactly as I hoped it would. And so like a kid, you know, giddy, going to a candy shop, I got on the bus and it was a four-hour drive. 
from where I was to the factory. And I went to go pick up the prototype just so that I could continue with photography and continue promotion of the campaign and all that. And it was a pile of garbage. And my heart just completely sank. And I knew that I couldn't continue the campaign because the product wasn't what I had designed. It wasn't what I had said it was. And so we had to pull the plug. And so, you know, obviously there was a a period of time there where I was not doing too hot. And I think, you know, to use a, a Chinese metaphor, there was definitely a phoenix rising out of the ashes moment for me in that I realized that helping other companies not have happened what happened to me was not only very pertinent to my situation, but also much more lucrative than the business that I had first pursued when I got here. And so within one year, we had 150 customers and have really just expanded a lot since then. Kickstarter, Indiegogo are partners with us. They recommend the people that use their platforms to manufacture their products with us. We've been featured in tons of, of the big publications around the world. And since then, we've grown now. We've, we've changed offices three times. We've had an office here in Guangzhou. We have an office in India. And we have an office in Hong Kong as well. So obviously, you know, from that time till now, a lot, a lot of other stuff has happened. But I think that is a, a pretty good job of, of summing it all up in a nutshell uh, with the time we have today. I remember vividly when I was coming for the first time to China back in 2005 to Beijing. It was like a gold rush there. Uh, every foreigner, it didn't matter where you're from or what you could do. They just trusted you that your English was good and you could work everywhere as a teacher. And there were a lot of other stuff you could do. But I do believe China has changed quite a lot since. What is your experience from a business point of view? I do believe back then it took a few thousand dollars and a good idea to get started. How is the situation right now? Yeah, I, th I think you hit it on the head. You know, back then, China was closed for most of China's recent history. And it's only opened up since the 80s, right? It's not, it's not the same as it is in Canada or Germany or America, right? It's been quite sheltered to foreign presence. And so, yeah, like you said, when I first got here, it was a gold rush. Basically, just being a foreigner was enough merit and gave you enough credibility to do basically anything that you wanted. And so that, that was interesting. But yes, the times have changed enormously. From then till now, basically, you need to be good at what you do. You need to be great because the culture here is no longer interested in just the fact that you're a foreigner. They're interested in merit and being able to deliver and talent and creativity and, and intelligence, right? It's, it's a very, very different world. It's changed so much since when I first got here. But I think that's good, right? It really has raised the bar for the type of talent that's come in from international places. And I think it's made for a much more competitive landscape. I actually have to tell you, one of my deepest going experiences in China was 
when the Chinese people told me about the competitive pressure, which starts very early on. It's not uncommon for elementary students to sit there late in the evening until maybe even 10 o'clock and to study because the pressure is so hard. There's such a lot of competition. Maybe in Germany, there are a thousand people who can do what you're doing, but in China, there may be millions. So there is an extreme pressure there. And you now feeling the same? Yeah, I think so. The industry that we're in obviously caters to an international community. So I'm not competing with Chinese competitors as much, but I'm more working with them. But in, in terms of the competitive landscape here, absolutely. Right. And it does start, like you said, from a young age, because Chinese know they have the Gaokao, right? The standardized tests pre-university. And that test, your result on that test it basically will be with you the rest of your life. From that test is decided which university you go to and from there, which job you'll get. So definitely from a, a young age and obviously with a pretty enormous population, there's a lot of competition here for sure. And yeah, you have to, you have to work very hard here to rise to the top. How did you work hard and what did you learn during the last few years just to stay on top of the game? I'm very sure you had to adapt and adjust quite a lot. What are some of the interesting lessons, not necessarily only for China, but as an entrepreneur, what you've learned, what you've wished somebody had told you before you started? I think the biggest, you know, is, is being able to pivot. I got stuck out of China for almost the whole year. I was in Bali and then I was on in the Pacific Ocean in the west side of Canada. So I don't get a lot of sympathy for where I was stuck, but it was hard because my whole life is here. My friends, my created version of family, you know, my, my life is here. And it, of course, it was nice to see my, my actual family back in Canada and, and in the US, but I couldn't be back. And the business that we have has relied heavily. I don't know how good your Chinese is, but guanxi, right? On relations. Yep. Yeah. And being able to have people come and visit to see the craftsmanship behind the work that we do, behind the level of professionalism that our company has as a standard. And so having people come here was easy, right? They came here, they saw what we were doing, they saw that we were good and they wanted to work with us. Now, obviously not being here for a year made us, forced us to pivot. You know, a lot of people couldn't get back into the country for longer than even me, right? I'm fortunate enough to have figured out a way back. But I think that forced a lot of companies to have to close up shop and Not being able to have people come to China and come to our offices was very difficult. And I, and I was quite nervous, honestly, that our business wouldn't be able to withstand the pressure that the situation of the recent times was putting upon us. And we pivoted. And like you said, you know, I wish we had done it earlier. I wish somebody had pushed me harder to do it. But rather than having people actually be here, We had to figure out a way to create a window into what we do. And, you know, it's 2021. 
production of high quality content, as with your podcast, is becoming easier and easier. You know, social media and digital advertising budgets allow you to put your message wherever you want. And so while I was in Bali, I started a marketing department and made some hires that were really great. And instead of having people come to China, we brought China to them. And so we, we started producing content and making videos and really giving people an inside look at what it is that our company does. And that's been really good. What I thought was going to be problematic for the existence of the company actually turned out to be a, a great silver lining that allowed us to amplify our voice across many platforms. Isn't it that the Chinese character of crisis is combined of opportunity and problem? Yeah. There you go. So your Chinese is pretty good. Ah, nali nali. So that is what you've used this for. Have you seen any impact? Because a lot of people are right now thinking how the world will change after Corona. I do believe China got away pretty lightly in terms of death, in terms of infections with Corona. But I totally believe that Corona won't go away anytime soon. Everybody who can get vaccinated should get vaccinated and carry on with their life. But what obviously totally objective from your current position, from your current business, how do you see the next two or three years developing? What will be changing? Is there anything on the horizon you can already see? I think you're right. I think the world's not going to be normal anytime soon. And, you know, from an objective standpoint, what does that mean for my business? It means that we're not going to have our clients or potential clients visiting us. It means that we're, we're going to have to continue to do what we do to get our message out there. And right now we're really working on doubling down on those efforts. We have now full-time a photographer in-house. We have a, a video editor in-house, a graphic designer in-house, right? Like we, we're really doubling down on our, our media efforts and pushing the ability to put content out in front of interested eyes. I think, you know, it, like I said, it is a silver lining because there aren't that many people doing what we're doing right now. And there used to be, but a lot of them, like I said, had to shut up, shut their shops. And I think our doubling down efforts and, you know, really putting out what we do there to the world, I think the, the demand is still very high. People want to make new products, right? In 2021, having your own product-based company is, is similar to being a rock star in the 80s. You know, it's the thing that could make you the coolest. So the demand for businesses that make products for people is still as high as ever. But the supply, the accessibility to China and to making products is, I think, considerably lower. And yeah, I really believe doubling down on, on our efforts will prove to be quite a fruitful effort. Well, we have to admit that this is not only a problem of China or industry within China. It basically impacts every industry that relies either on shipping or raw materials, even not only from abroad, but of course from abroad. 
that is completely impacted by all the restrictions put in place by the global pandemic. When we're talking about the uh, digital content, that is something I also realized when you have digital content. Of course, it went quite well for podcasts all across the board. But do you also feel an increased digital competition going on here? Absolutely. I think within our industry, not so much, just because it's a unique approach to what we're doing. But yeah, I mean, podcasts are on the rise everywhere. And probably since, you know, Joe Rogan really started to take off since then, more and more celebrities are, are throwing their hat in the ring. Having said that, though, I am as big of a believer in quality and consistency as anything. And you know, our position is always to make the Rolls Royce or the Rolexes of whatever industry we're making products for and being unique and, and providing a level of quality that, that others either can't reach or are too lazy or not consistent enough. And I think in, when it comes to digital content, that's especially true because the tools with which we need to create a high level of quality are at our fingertips. And, and it's so achievable now more than ever, whether it's audio or video or graphic design or editing or whatever it is. It's so accessible, right? Fiverr, Upwork, meeting people, like it's just, it's so available. And I think that not enough people are really aiming their bar high enough. And that's probably the biggest differentiator in who makes it in digital content and who doesn't. Hmm. I totally agree with you here. It's a uh, former generation called it uh, to stand on the shoulder of giants when you basically could use that ability, that tool, that technology somebody else developed. And one author once called it the world is flat early 2000s, but I do believe it's even flatter now. When you talked about the products, have you also seen there some trends when you said about the Rolex, about the high-end product, in terms of product, what you're offering? Let me take you on a little journey because I used to be a big fan of crowdfunding, for example. I was one of the very first in Germany to have this desktop charging station with multiple plugs. There was something really, really new at this point in time. And I remember when I brought it to the shared office when I was working in consulting at this time, I was getting, oh, what's that? Can I also plug in my iPhone? Can I plug in my Android device? Yeah, sure. just plug in a different charging cable. Oh, that works really Oh, And I think a little bit of this novelty went away. Plus, I also had some bad experiences. As you said, basically crowdfunding projects, likely not through any fault of their own, which just couldn't delivered and refunded uh, parts, all of the money I sent to them. But at one point, there was so much that it got less interesting. Can you have a look, let's say one or two years in the future, what will be on the horizon? Because at the first, it was like very little technical gadgets. Now I'm seeing more stuff a little bit more advanced, like high-end headsets, microphones, uh, smart mirrors, and stuff like this. Do you see the crowdfunding projects 
getting in terms of hardware, in terms of quality, more complex, better quality and stuff like, is this what you're seeing in your clients? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Crowdfunding as with any industry is reaching a level of maturity that was not present five years ago. And, you know, when I first started, people would make $500,000 on a little crappy wallet with no planning, no good video production, no team, no real design, just some pictures or maybe a prototype made at home or in a private workshop or something like that. No plan. And that's not possible anymore. I don't care who it is. If you launch a crowdfunding campaign these days without preparation, uh, unless a miracle and you get struck by lightning, it's not going to happen. And, and I think that's only going to become more and more blatantly obvious is that the preparation, the design, the complexity of projects, the utility, the quality of the product, all that stuff is just going to continue to rise. And we're definitely seeing that as the industry matures, that more and more of our customers are coming more prepared with more of a budget pre-campaign with a better constructed team, very goal-oriented, a roadmap moving forward. Those are probably now a little bit more of uh, requests from the crowdfunding community. But I think over the next few years, they're going to be absolutely mandatory. I see. Um, actually, I assume we think a lot alike for the very simple reason I was just trying to ask you what's your experience of preparing a crowdfunding campaign, how much money you need upfront, and you're talking about rising budgets. For example, I have here a crowdfunding campaign. I was a little bit involved personally back in uh, summer 2015, and this crowdfunding campaign raised something like 400,000 US dollars. But on the other side, they had to spend something like 80,000 US dollars just to get it off the ground in terms of PR, online advertisement, as you said, producing high quality videos, content and so on. Do you see those budgets and requirements rising? And where do you see right now the threshold to really run a successful campaign raising something like half a million dollars? Yeah, I think... It's a bit of a loaded question for a couple of reasons. In terms of the budget increasing, the answers across the board, the average 100% will increase. Where you spend that budget, the majority of successful campaigns, say in the range you're discussing half a million dollars, they're spending that on ads. All of the big ad agencies that run campaigns are spending a large portion of all of the money you earn on your campaign in ads. And I, I think that should be the expectation. When you launch a campaign, you should be expecting to make $0 profit. So basically, you know, if you, if you raise half a million dollars, my expectation for anyone in the crowdfunding world is that you should not be expecting to make profit. You should be expecting to have a launch pad to build a real business. And the, the money made in a crowdfunding campaign can provide you with the capital you need to buy enough inventory to continue to grow your business. 
And I, I think that needs to be most everybody's focus is using crowdfunding, not as a way to make money, but using crowdfunding campaigns as a way to launch your company into becoming a real company. And we have hinted a little bit about it uh, time and again. So can you tell our audience just like 30 seconds to elevate the pitch? what your company is actually doing, what services are you providing before we let you get back to work or maybe even to sleep because it's very late in uh, Canton right now? Yeah, no problem. So at Morpho MFG, we are a contract manufacturing business that focuses on providing a turnkey end-to-end -end solution uh, for design, engineering, manufacturing of products. We like to focus on creative, complex products. You know, if you want to make 1,000 spoons, we're probably not your guys. But if you have an IoT or a hardware-based product, something complex, whether it's metal, wood, textile, plastics, uh, we can definitely do it for you. And we're happy to offer anybody that hears this podcast the exclusive discount for any of your fans. And everybody would like to use this discount, you can go down here in the show notes. There will be a link and a code. And the only thing left for me is to say thank you very much. Shishini Saijian. Jutaja Kaishin Sangho.